Good morning, Rick. We're back with the second episode in the series on the first Timothy message series. So glad to be with you this morning. Yeah, here we are. Uh, episode two, we're diving into uh, chapter two. We're actually going to spend uh, two weeks digging into to chapter two. Uh, the message this past weekend, uh, or this related to this podcast episode, was just verses one through ten. Mm-hmm. People who are really familiar with First Timothy, especially chapter two, know there's a lot of kind of controversy and maybe confusion <laughs> and angst yeah. um, and curiosity surrounding verses eleven fifteen through 15. That's coming next. Uh, But right now we're talking through one through 10. Plenty to talk about next week, but we also have plenty to talk about this week too, because one through 10 has some really amazing stuff in it. Yeah, I felt uh, challenged in uh, in all the good ways. And Mm. and I even shared with the the congregation during the sermons that I, uh, conviction of over my own sin, my my own sin of um, prayerlessness or just an anemic prayer life in regard to praying for those in authority over me, especially those in the government. Mm-hmm. It's not like I never do it, but it would not be fair to say, it would not be accurate to say that it has been um, kind, of, kind of like a hallmark or characterized mm-hmm. my, my prayer life. And and I and, and the months leading up to this, man, I just felt like the Holy Spirit convicting me of that. And so this is something, this is just something that personally I'm trying to lean into and I, I want to grow into um and really praying with gratitude mm. uh, for all those in authority over me, whether I'm a fan of how they leverage their authority or not. Yeah, yeah. So for context, for anyone, if you haven't heard the message yet, or maybe you haven't uh, read First Timothy 2 recently, it starts off with Paul urging us to mm-hmm. pray with all petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for all people, mm-hmm. for kings and all those in authority. Mm-hmm. So that, that is a that's a high ask when not necessarily all of these people are people that are uh, the people you might be wanting to pray for. Yeah. And it's not like, like they would say to us, cry me a river. It's hard to pray (laughs) for people in authority who you didn't vote for. The people in authority over us beat us and kill us and throw us into prison and feed us to wild beasts and set us on fire. Like, yeah. And Paul is saying to them, and when this was written, it's 250 years before it's going to be safe and legal to be a Christian. And Paul is saying, pray with thanksgiving for kings and all those in Mm -hmm. authority. It high ass, radical, is (laughs) there... Are there words that exist in the English language that are sufficient to describe just how revolutionary this is? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If there are, I don't know those words. (laughs) Well, I want to talk about what it yeah. looks like to have to pray with thanksgiving yeah. for the very people that you yeah. feel like are trying to undo yeah. a godly way of life. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, but first, you know, let's let's focus first on on the why the you know the whole the so that of mm-hmm. this whole thing is Paul says that in doing this, it's that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in mm-hmm. all godliness and holiness. Yeah. So how do you see that playing out, that as we adopt this disposition sure. of praying for people in authority, that it actually leads mm-hmm. to our own benefit of a peaceful, quiet, holy, and godly life? I have become deeply convinced of this, and I'm only growing more persuaded that the only way to live a peaceful, quiet life um, of, of godliness and holiness is to 
give a big old bear hug to humility and submission. Mm. That humility and mutual submission are constants for all followers of Jesus. And we see it in Jesus. There is no more radical uh, display of humility and submission than Jesus giving his body on the cross as a ransom for our sin. Mm. All right. So, um, and into this church that is rife with division and fights and people deconstructing their faith. Paul doesn't say deconstruction. He said shipwreck Mm. their faith. Um, That the solution is to embrace, follow Jesus and embrace humility and submission. That it resets our hearts. It resets our minds. It resets our affections. It totally recalibrates us. Mm -hmm. That there is there is no other pathway into peace, quiet, godliness, and holiness than humility and submission. Hmm. And it really is it really is a, a beautiful life. And for those of us who are under happily under the authority of King Jesus, we don't need our way and we don't need our agenda. We actually take up our cross and follow him. We die to ourselves. We happily lay down our agenda for his agenda. And we experience that and we receive that and we go deeper into that on the pathway of humility and submission. Mm, nicely said. So <clears throat> it's easy to envision being able to pray or even mm-hmm. praying with intercession or petition yeah. for people in authority over us. You yeah. know, I can imagine that, you know, even if it's like, God, would you help them wisen up? <laughs> yeah. Like, wouldn't it be easier to keep this and maybe more fun to keep this instead of saying pray for, pray against, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Joyfully pray against those. <laughs> or pray what you think they need. <laughs> I remember one time when we were kids, I mean, young kids, and we were doing our bedtime prayers and my brother prayed that God would cancel my prayer. But you know what? As a, as a, as a, and I love my brother, but as a young kid, he was just saying out loud what's in a lot of our hearts as adults (laughs) Uh is that we want to use it's, there's just something. I'm not going to talk about other people. I'll talk about me. There's something in me that, that, uh, I want to use prayer as a weapon. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what does it look like to pray with thanksgiving Mm. for people that we, either wrestle with the people we voted against, maybe yeah. a leader that we feel like is, mm-hmm. is unfair or, yeah. or unwise or, or mm-hmm. even evil. Sure. How, practically speaking, what does it look like to pray with thanksgiving for those leaders that we, we just struggle with? I think we could at the very least start here. Um, bad government is better than no government. <clears throat> and if you don't believe me, why don't you take your family on vacation to a country that basically has no government? You're not going to do that. It is it is horrible. Uh, government is a government is a gift is a gift of God. Um, we we need it, and so even bad government is better than no government. So even starting starting with this disposition, God, I'm thankful. I'm th- I'm thankful that there is a government. I'm thankful that there are people who are shouldering um, the burden of leadership. I am grieved over how they are shouldering the burden of leadership. God, I trust that you can turn their hearts. I trust that you can intervene, and I'm asking you uh, I'm asking you to do that. But I'm going to begin with a heart of just thankfulness to God for that, even if I can't be grateful for what P- 
people are doing. Mm. Um, and it's easy to go to the extreme. And I like using extreme examples because extreme examples r- help us quickly test the validity of our ideas mm-hmm. or, or our beliefs. But let's also remember, we don't really live in the extreme. Mm. We live maybe in discomfort, but we don't live, we don't live in the extreme um, regardless, regardless of what we think about what's going on um, in our country, political decisions that are made, international decisions regarding conflict and wars, uh, domestic decisions regarding policies related to things like, um, like civil liberties, um, abortion, economy, whatever. We have a lot to be thankful for, even though there's a lot of things that we might do differently. Mm-hmm. And so it's just let's just practice some. Let's just practice. Let's start naming things. Look for things you can be grateful for, and just name those. And there's some one of the one of the common the, the single common denominator amongst re- resilient people is that they practice gratitude. Mm-hmm. And and I said this on I think I said this on the weekend message, and um, and I really do mean it. If Jesus could give his life, I can give things. If Jesus can look at them and give his life for them, and God truly desires salvation for all, even even my least favorite political leader, mm-hmm. I can give thanks. Mm. I've often watched gratitude just transform an mm-hmm. interaction with mm-hmm. someone. You know, I might not have the opportunity to directly express gratitude to a political mm-hmm. leader, uh, but uh, but to express gratitude to someone who is an authority over me often mm-hmm. has had the effect of just warming the temperature yeah. in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think it is a good exercise for each of us to, to figure out there's got to be something here that I can be grateful for yeah. and to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, go back to the concept of humility and mutual submission. Because, okay. yeah, I think, I think you're on to some really solid ground there when okay. we adopt that as our disposition. Um, we did get a, a wonderful question that came in uh, from someone who was asking us if, if you could give a little bit more of a practical example of what it looks like to adopt this disposition of humility and mutual submission, um, can you talk about uh, submitting to leaders, whether it's maybe a leader in your work or, mm. or in the government, um, but specifically when it's someone that you do disagree with or even if they're asking you to do something that might be sinful? Yeah. yeah. How, do, how do you submit to something that you think is not right? Yeah. Um, let me start kind of general with some principles. And if I could just acknowledge again that the majority of my adult life I've got to, I've had the privilege of working in the in, in the church world. And so there are some great people who you should listen to um, who have lived out in the business world, the secular world or even even working in government. So <clears throat> So I just I just want to acknowledge that at the at, at at the start I don't think that my advice is the be all or end all and I may not have sufficient wisdom to to answer this question but I'll say this when we are not the ones who are in authority it's important just to remember that so if I have a boss above me and that boss above me is the one who makes the decision just remember he or she is the one who makes the decision not me and I want to collaborate and I want to be helpful. Um, in the way that my job calls for, the way that my role uh, calls for, but I also want to recognize I'm not the one who has the final say. Mm-hmm. This individual has the final say, and I will I will respect that. Um, you're never going to go wrong 
You're never going to go wrong if you're aiming at how can I express the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You're just never going to mm. go wrong. If you're like, I, however I engage, even if I get it wrong, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do that. You're never going to go wrong with that. Now, let's say you, you're, you're in don't, your job. You know what? Don't go by that too quickly because I think that's really helpful. Okay. But in that sense that the goal is not necessarily to try to agree Oh, with sure. their decision yeah. or to even say, yep, okay, they've got the authority to make this call and so I'm just going to get behind it without mm-hmm. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But especially if you don't agree mm-hmm. with what they're doing to, to, like you said, just focus. How can I display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Mm-hmm. Um, how can I mm-hmm. act the way Jesus would act Absolutely. in this moment? If Jesus were living your life, what would it look like if Jesus had your job? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I, that's a, and just kind of spend some time praying through that, wrestling through that, talking to other wise people. Um, now, if you're, we're talking about a work situation. If your boss is asking you to do something that you believe is morally wrong, um, I would say never violate your conscience. Never, never go against what you believe is right. What you believe is right. If you think that it would be morally wrong for you to do something, you have to say that. Mm-hmm. You have to say that to your boss. Um, so by op- adopting an attitude of humility and submission, you're mm-hmm. not saying go against something that you yeah. think is. That's right. Yeah. Now, I would never want anybody to go against their conscience. Um, I really wanted to talk about conscience in week one. Um, didn't have time. There just was. There just wasn't time in, in, in the sermon for that. And so, I. Well, here's it's, your opportunity. Uh, here's my opportunity. <laughs> All right. It's important to remember your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not your conscience. Ooh. Don't confuse don't confuse those two separate things as the same thing, right? Okay. The Holy Spirit does convict us, he encourages us, he reminds us that we're not under condemnation. He might bring to he helps us uh really see the true meaning of scripture. He uh he might cause us to realize uh where we are where we are in the wrong so that we can repent all but that he's not a a conscience and he's not our conscience he is the holy spirit now what is our what is our conscience our conscience is like the it's like the traffic light of our soul hmm. so it is your your conscience is like the is like a, a traffic light in the intersection of your spirit, your, your 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 will, your mind, your 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 moral framework. And let me say this, and hopefully this will make sense. Tell me if I'm being convoluted and too ethereal. Okay. A conscience is never more accurate than its input, and it's never going to be stronger than our integrity. Okay. Keep so, talking. All right. So this is this is what I mean by that. Your your belief system. Um, what you follow as true, that is informing your conscience, right? And if you believe things that are not true, right, your conscience will give you a green light when you shouldn't go. Mm. And your mm-hmm. conscience will give you a red light when you should go, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up. So your conscience could be aligned with misinformation. That's right. Or distorted truths. That's right. <laughs> so your conscience is never going to be more accurate than what's inputting than the inputs that are going into your into your conscience. In the same way that a traffic light could be misprogrammed in an intersection, which we've all seen before, and all of a sudden it just starts blinking and everybody's got to figure out how to how to go. Um, 
it's only going to be as accurate as the information that's informing our, our, our conscience. But it's also, it's no stronger than our integrity. If you come up to a red light, the red light isn't forcing you to stop, but it's telling you to stop. You could blow through the red light. Mm. You could ignore the red light. Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing to your conscience. You can't ignore your conscience. And sometimes sometimes people ignore their conscience enough that terms are, are used like you've seared your mm. your your conscience. It's mm-hmm. it's it's you not that it's stopped to it. functioning. Yes, mm-hmm. but you're 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 callous to it. And so why am I going through all of that? If you're in a job situation and you believe that your that your boss is telling you to do something that's that you think is wrong and it violates your conscience, it's it's important to at least have enough humility to, to ask ourselves, is my conscience correct here? Mm-hmm. Do I need to reevaluate? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I said this in the previous episode. I want to remind us of this again. The Christian life is a team sport. It's never meant to be lived in isolation. It is always good and wise and healthy. It's always it's always beneficial for us to process with others. There's safety in a multitude of wise counsel. And so whenever you are able, invite other mature believers, people who you respect, to to pray with you, to think through it with you, and to offer wise counsel. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just encouraging you not to be brash, especially mm-hmm. if you need that paycheck. Don't be brash, mm-hmm. right? Approach this with approach this with wisdom. But if you are convinced that your boss is trying to get you to do something that that violates your conscience that you believe is wrong, then you have to explain with humility, honoring the fruit of the spirit in such a way I can't do that, mm-hmm. and then you have to live with the consequences. If you lose your job, you lose your job. If you get demoted, you get demoted. If you lose pay or a bonus, you lose pay or a bonus. And so you have to accept the consequences, but you should also take advantage of all the resources that are available to you. And so we, there's so much to be, again, there's so much to be grateful for in our country. So you have to, with humility, with respect, with submission, fruit of the spirit, Hold the line. Tell your boss why you can't do that. Embrace the consequence. But then if there's an appeal process available to you, take advantage of that. Whether it's appeals process through your work, whether it's talking with a lawyer, and and if the law has been violated, using the, the services of a lawyer to try and make that right. You have to do all of that. But we always do it with a disposition of love, humility, submission, trying to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Mm. So... Yeah, talk Tell a me little where bit. we are on that. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate the distinguishing between conscience and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Because um, I think that's easy to muddy mm-hmm. in, in our minds. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the Holy Spirit will never change, mm-hmm. but our conscience might change mm-hmm. with new information given or or mm-hmm. other inputs. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate that you you help us to see the difference between those two things mm-hmm. and that voice that's kind of giving us that that gut feeling or that that voice of integrity or ethics yeah. uh, is something that we need to to pay attention to, mm-hmm. but also to evaluate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you talked a little bit about what it looks like to 
to act with humility and submission, especially in a case where maybe we're being asked to do something we don't agree with. Mm -hmm. But talk about kind of another aspect of that, about how when we do this well, Mm -hmm. we have the opportunity to Mm -hmm. maybe influence for good uh, the the lives of people in authority over us. Uh, You gave the example from a a pretty cool experience you just had in Ghana. Yeah, the king uh, of the the Dagbom kingdom there. A Muslim king. Who loves pastors, loves loves Christians, wants to see church, loves it when churches are planted, loves it uh, when church groups show up, loves it when doctors show up. Yeah, it's it's amazing. He has seen the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus. Maybe it has not moved him to give his allegiance to Jesus, but he is certainly welcoming in people who are bringing the gospel. It's all, and it's not a guarantee that it's always going to happen that way. Some people are going to respond out of fear. Some people are going to respond with harshness and hostility. We don't get to control that. What we get to control is what we contribute. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee, I know that people are not going to respond to the gospel if I don't live it out. Mm-hmm. I can't guarantee they will respond to the gospel if I live it out. But I know there's no hope for it unless I live it out. So I want to live it out and I want to join God and his mission of wanting to see all people saved. Mm-hmm. So verses 8 through 10 of this chapter gives mm-hmm. some kind of practical examples from, from the Ephesian culture yeah, of I mean, what this might look like for men and women. We would say, remembering gospel fluency, these are the implications of the gospel. If you remember what Jesus has done and you're motivated to do it, here's how it impacts your life. So, so make that even more explicitly clear. So, you know, it's yeah. easy to just drop the word gospel. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's a, a ridiculously difficult word to define in a succinct way. Sure. Do you want to attempt uh, to explain what you mean by gospel in, in this context of this chapter? Yeah, remembering that we could sincerely talk about it for hours. What we're talking about is the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done and what we have when we trust in him. And uh, it's all of it's all of who Jesus is, what he has done for us and the life that he gives. It's so all of that is all of that is good news. Um, you know, I grew up thinking that the gospels were like the ABC, uh, not the gospels, but the gospel was the ABCs uh, of the Christian life. It's like when you come to know that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, now you give your life to him. And then the Christian life is everything after the gospel. Um, But uh, I think it was Tim Keller who said, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. Mm -hmm. It is is everything. Um, And so when you are living out humility and submission and kindness, you are living out the gospel, the life that Jesus Mm -hmm. gave his life so that we could have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Paul keeps engaging in what we've labeled gospel fluency. He, he reminds us, this is the content of the gospel. And in chapter two, he's reminding us that Jesus gave his life as a ransom. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility and submission. Mm -hmm. He, um, reminds us of what motivates us to apply the gospel that we get to join God in seeing the whole seeing people get saved and that God desires for all people to be saved. And so we want to know the content of the gospel. Uh, the third thing is the app is the applying the motivation of the gospel, but the middle one is, okay, now I know the content of the gospel. How does this impact my life? And so we're talking about the implications mm-hmm. of the gospel. And so that's what we, that's what we see in uh, verses eight, nine, and 10. So in, uh, in both examples, at first glance, they can seem to be kind of disparate examples with focusing yeah. on men. And men, don't fight and pray. pray. <laughs> don't fight, pray, 
women um, don't dress too nice. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and did I paraphrase that well enough? Yeah, well, I actually enjoyed the way he said it in the message more. Like, women look pretty, but not, but not too pretty. But not too pretty, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the uh, the nervous giggles about that every time you said it in the service. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, at first glance, they seem like very different kinds of examples. Yeah. And it is a little frustrating, especially as a woman mm-hmm. who loves Jesus and yeah. loves the gospel yeah. to, to feel like men are being given some some helpful instruction in the way that mm-hmm. they pray and the way that they worship. And then mm-hmm. women are just, it's just focused on how you dress. Yeah. And that's just a misunderstanding. That's not what Paul was trying to communicate. Yeah. And it, it misses out. And um, so men are, don't leverage your anger. Don't leverage your, your, your physical prowess. Don't, don't leverage your ability to beat somebody up. Don't, don't leverage whatever advantages you might bring to the situation to be able to take advantage of the situation or mm-hmm. over others. You're going to your hands up in, in, in a posture of submission and worship. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be peaceful, and you're going to pray. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fight. And if you don't get your way, you don't get your way. But you, you're so enamored with Jesus that you would never violate His way in order to get your way. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. And then to to women about not you know expensive clothing, expensive jewelry, elaborate hairstyles. That's not about women's bodies and attracting too much attention and don't attract attention. It's about it's a power play. Um, I think I think I, I think the secret's out. Uh, you know, Rome was a patriarchal society and <laughs> it was a misogynistic society, and men had almost all the advantages. Um, but within the cult of Artemis, women had some advantages, um, and just like in our culture. Um, Money talks, and you know if you have if you have wealth, um, you can actually gain an advantage over others. That happened in Roman society too. Wealthy women had advantages and actually exerted some dominance at times over men who weren't as weren't as wealthy. And the the thing about don't wear expensive clothes or expensive jewelry or this elaborate hairstyles, which by the way would have required sitting for hours while a slave did your hair. It's like don't come in and flaunt the the privileges and the wealth that you have as a way to assert yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. It's not about sexuality. It's about flaunting wealth and privilege and power. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that men are not supposed to leverage whatever advantage they might have to take advantage, women aren't to do the same thing either. It's the it's the flip side of the of the same coin. It's the it's it's an it's a specific application for women and a specific application for men of the exact same thing. Mm Yeah. yeah, thank you for for helping us to see that. And it speaks again to the importance of of doing the work of understanding the context mm-hmm. that the scriptures are written in. Yes. Um, they're written in such a, a far removed culture mm-hmm. from where we're reading them now that we have to be very careful that when we're seeking to apply them today, that mm-hmm. we're making the same application point <laughs> that, right. that Paul intended when he wrote that. That's right. Um, yeah. So can I, uh, can I plug 
plug uh, Sandra Glan's book. Yeah, uh, so Sandra it's a Glan great book. is a professor at, at Dallas Theological Seminary, my alma mater, mm. um, and has written this amazing book on the cult of Artemis and how that impacted the church uh, mm-hmm. in Ephesus. And uh, and you you included a fantastic quote from her book that uh, in talking about this specifically about how women would dress, that the the effect of that would be so um, divisive mm-hmm. in the church. Yes. And that in this new church where you could have a slave and a master mm-hmm. worshiping side by side with these cultural stratification lines just broken down. And the, the slave might be the elder or the pastor of the church leading a mm-hmm. congregant who is his, who owns him as his master. Yeah. That's how upside down it is yeah. in the kingdom of Jesus and what should it be like in the in the church. And you know, I, I'm not against people dressing up for church. If you want to dress up, dress up. That that that's fine. But we have to remember that our culture, our culture has the same vulnerabilities that Roman culture did. Absolutely. We signal things through our dress. And so historically, in the beginning, the 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 approach of believers was to intentionally dress down to demonstrate we're all the same. There's no rank. There, There's no hierarchy here related to economic status or social status. Mm-hmm. I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And I chickened out. I was going to wear old jeans and a hoodie. <laughs> and I kind of chickened out. And um, and I, I really, I was really wrestling with it. But I thought we get to that point so late in the sermon. I was afraid that people would be so offended by the way that I dress that they wouldn't be able to hear at that point. Yeah. I just know that um, historically, from the beginning, Christians would have said, dress down, don't dress up. God's not looking at your clothing anyway. He's looking at your heart. Mm. Just be dressed. (laughs) Well, both of these application points Mm -hmm. about the way men are approaching prayer Mm -hmm. in a spirit of setting aside anger or disputes, but just to be able to, Mm -hmm. to pray in a, in a humble Mm -hmm. and a mutually submissive way. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with women in dressing Mm -hmm. in a way that wouldn't signal wealth or status or something that would just make everyone feel like we're all on the same playing field here before Jesus. Um, It's, it's a great application of the earlier part of the chapter of, of uh, adopting this disposition of humility and mutual submission, um, which that and then seeing how it played out in that culture is going to be an interesting uh, segue for us as we move into the rest of this chapter. Yeah. I want to, let me talk about this real quick, especially let's keep leaning into this to what, to what Paul said to men. And by the way, it would apply to women too. And about not signaling your status and your power through your dress. That applies to men too. Sure, Of course. If you come to church and you're angry at somebody, you go through a worship service and you leave and you're still angry, you got a problem. You are disobeying. You're disobeying God's word. You're holding on to your anger and you've pretended to worship. Um, and we're going to get into some things in the second half of 1 Timothy chapter 2. One of the things that I find strange is that when we get to the that there are some people they want to spend a lot of energy really focusing on maybe what women are not allowed to do but we just we spend we don't put anywhere near 
the amount of energy and attention into talking about conflict, grudges, pride, our addiction to power. And uh, books are written about men and women in leadership. Conferences exist about men and women in leadership. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if there was just as much attention put into, hey, let's be people of peace. Let's be people who we don't need our way. Let's be people of, we are, we're going to put the lion's share of our attention on being forgiving in the same way that Jesus was forgiving to us. And we don't want any of that to pollute our worship and our times of gathering together in prayer. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, the way that this chapter is often treated exposes our love affair with power instead of our love affair with humility and forgiveness. Mm. And this is not a shot at anyone in particular or any group. It's really a mirror. It's a mirror to hold up and to say, Jesus, is there anything that I need to receive from this? Jesus, am I, am I speeding over too quickly the call to humility and submission because I want to follow you? Mm. Um, I think it's, I think it's just worth, I think it's worth giving our attention to that. It's a challenging word and worth some reflection. Uh, We'll let people uh, maybe end in that thought. All right. (laughs) 